Hey folks, uh, Joe Morris with Answers, Heaven Speaks. Uh, any of you who were with us yesterday, you know that I'm just getting over a cold. Well, actually I just caught a cold. So I still have the effects. I've got a terrible cough and <coughs> a little bit of stuffiness. And so uh, my apologies right up front if I have a little coughing attack. Um, up to yesterday, well, once again, we are... Gosh, where do I start on this? We are at a point now in the story that puts Marissa and I, my clairvoyant channeling daughter, and I kind of right back where we were when we got started in late 2011. When we first started doing sessions, when Marissa was just starting to doing her channeling, and we wanted to, well, <laughs> Those guys up there, I mean, just the whole universe hosts who would come into our session says, you need to write a book. We thought, oh my gosh, neither one of us had ever written a book. We didn't know how to write a book. We didn't know the first thing about it, how to get started and how to actually get it published. Uh, even if you couldn't get it published with a, a name brand publisher, even just to self-publish it. So we were kind of lost, but we got started and we, we wrote, the first book we wrote, we never did um, publish. It was very big, and it was, but it was entitled Bridging the Gap Between Christianity and Spirituality. Bridging the Gap Between Christianity and Spirituality. Because we know the country is just so divided right now. Uh, if they have any spiritual People who have spiritual roots, they they either go to church or they don't go to church and they speak against the church. Yet they still feel the presence of the Father. Although they may call it something else. They may just call it the higher self. But there are just as many spiritualists in the United States as there are Christians. So when we decided to call it bridging the gap between Christianity and spirituality, what we ended up finding was that no Christians wanted to listen to what we had to say because they thought I, Joe Morris, was headed down a slippery slope to hell by listening to Marissa, who was doing channeling. And then Marissa's followers, because she, was a, she had become a Reiki master, they were true spiritualists. There were some, there were some that were Christians and I would say probably closet Christians. So they weren't really in the mood to be hearing about Christ and Jesus. And so we were kind of caught in a nowhere land. Now over the course of what, the last 11 years or so with having many, many books and me deciding to stay focused on my Christian roots, um, I started this series starting with the birth of Christ and every day of his life since then. And we've gotten all the way up to, um, well, we went through his early life and then his, his teens and then his 20s and everything that he did. And it's all there. We started this way back in May and all those recordings are there in Facebook. You just tap on videos and you can go right down in there. And I think you tap on posts and then you tap on videos and you, they're all there. Everything, everything is there. Every one of one of these. But two weeks ago, when I went back to San Diego, um, normally when I go to San Diego and meet with Marissa, we, we kind of do a session and, and we uh, record it and then we plan to transcribe it, maybe to write another book or what have you. And then we never really get around to doing anything. And so whenever I go to San Diego or, or to Las Vegas to be with Marissa, we never really accomplished much. And I think it caused a uh, I don't know, some negative feelings between the two of us. We just didn't, we didn't know what direction we were going in or whatever. And Marissa had mentioned, well, why don't we go, why don't we do a show together? And I said, well, I, I do my show every day, every day. So if you want to come in when I'm doing my show, then just come on in and do your channeling and, and say what you have to say. Um, go ahead and channel whatever it is that's coming to you. And so over the course of these last two weeks, we have moved back to that bridging the gap 
and invariably Marissa will come on after the after I'm done going through the Urantia book and the Bible and relaying these stories of Jesus's life then Marissa comes in and she channels and invariably each day she's either channeling Jesus or Peter or somebody and uh, yesterday she channeled Gabriel now we know Gabriel is the second in command and I mean Gabriel was the one that came and talked to Mary and told her she was going to have a child of destiny. And he also went to uh, Elizabeth, who was the mother of John the Baptist, and told her she was going to have a son of destiny. And, um, and we have since learned that Gabriel showed up to the mother of Muhammad and told her that she was going to have a child of destiny. So he's the number two man. And he's sort of like, uh, he kind of comes down and becomes the messenger for Christ, Jesus or Michael. Michael is the creator of our universe and then uh, and then he is the the son of the eternal son and so he takes on the form of Christ in his own universe and so when uh, he came down and and became the spirit within or the soul within Jesus he was Jesus Christ. So here we are, and uh, hopefully Marissa will be able to pop in today. She's been real good about coming in. Uh, she likes to, when she's not in the middle of, of motherly duties, um, she'll listen to what the story is as we go along. And, um, and then hopefully she'll come in. I'll keep looking. You'll see me looking down there because there's a little button I have to push if, if uh, Marissa's going to come in, a little red light comes on. So anyway, we are, um, uh, and I said, I read something uh, yesterday uh, from, it was either Google or Facebook or something. They said that there will be no political, no political social issues or anything. The election matters, nothing for the next eight days. So you can't mention anything, anything about the upcoming election. That's it. That's about as much as you can say. Uh, otherwise, nyeek. Whatever you do here, it just goes away. So we're going to stick to the story. Um, the, the world is uh, going through some crazy things because, um, you know, there was a big election in, in Brazil, but that thing's going to get overturned for sure because the military is going to get involved and they're going to find out that all those uh, machines that were used were just corrupted. So that's going to be a big mess. Uh, Israel is moving towards new elections. Uh, England just had a had somebody that was uh, prime minister for all of about 30 days, and we've now found out that it's possibly that she was re responsible for um, you know that uh, that gas explosion out there in the in the what what sea? I can't even remember which sea it is. But anyway, the world's gone nuts. It's gone crazy. And so really all we have is ourselves, our family, and Christ. That's all we have. And that's what we should be happy with. And Gabriel came, came in at the end of the session yesterday and he said, no matter what the strife in the world is, always reach for the positive and always reach for the happiness. Stay focused on the happiness because what you focus on is what's going to happen. If you focus on negativity, you will get negativity. If you focus on positivity, you will get positivity. Is that a correct word? I'm not sure. Maybe. So anyway, your mind is so powerful that it drives you exactly where you're thinking. Almost like driving a car. You're thinking and, and you're seeing the road make a bend. You just automatically lean and lean and lean. So Gabriel's uh, number two guy, and he was pretty important, and he was kind of heading up in this whole Lazarus thing, that uh, in the resurrection of Lazarus from the dead, uh, Gabriel had brought along all the universe personalities, and they were all watching. They're all watching. They're all watching what's going on, because their creator of their universe, their creator of themselves, was down here on Earth, Grancha, as a lowly human, in a way, masquerading as God, but he wasn't masquerading, he really was.
but he called himself son of man. He didn't really want to get himself in a whole lot of trouble by calling him the son of God and himself the son of God, but he did admit that to his apostles. And the, the Jews are really pissed off. I mean, they're really, really mad at him right now. The reason being that they feel that if too many people start following Jesus, that their entire religion is going to go up in smoke. They just think that everything's going to go crazy. The whole Jewish faith will fall apart. Uh, their communities will go away. Uh, the Roman Empire will just take over and, and they'll all be slaves again. So they, they had somewhat of a justification. And Caiaphas, who was the chief priest in Jerusalem at the time, said it's better that one man die than a whole community die. So he's convincing the, the Sanhedrin. The Sanhedrin is sort of like their Congress made up of Pharisees and Sadducees. And there are followers, there are people within the Sanhedrin that, that are starting to follow Jesus. So you're going to see they come and they have a meeting to discuss what they're going to do with Jesus. And many of them quit. Something like 14 of them quit. And then six more who weren't committed, totally committed were fired. So there were, or was maybe five. So I think it was a total of 19 members of the Sanhedrin had to leave so that they could get a unanimous concession to go after and, and, and uh, arrest Jesus and, and kill him uh, over and beyond the Roman authorities. They don't have that right. Uh, the Jewish have their own government, they have their own police, they have their own guards and everything else, but they're still, it's sort of like, it's sort of like Every state in the United States uh, can have its own National Guard, it's got its own police force, it's got its own government, the whole works, but it's still subservient to the federal government. And that's what the Roman government was to the Jews in uh, Palestine, which later come, becomes Israel. So anyway, let's continue on with the story, and I'll keep an eye out and see if Marissa comes in. So as they walk toward the house after raising the dead, and, and there's a couple things that's going to come up, and, and I hope I can remember uh, when Marissa does come back on, because I need to ask her if little white lies are okay. I mean, is it okay to tell an innocent lie so that it doesn't hurt the feelings or something of somebody else? And the reason for that is because I've found two occasions now where Jesus tells little white lies. And uh, the first one was um, when they're in the camp at Pella. And um, I think it was at the camp at Pella. I'll, I'll have to think. And everybody wanted to go down to Jerusalem for the, uh, the, uh, the Feast of the Dedication. It might have been the Feast of, of the, uh, of the uh, uh, Tabernacles. It was one or the other. And the apostles did not want Jesus to go. They did not want Jesus to go because they thought that he would be arrested and, and he would be killed. And so he told them, I think from the camp of Pella, and this was maybe a week or so ago, maybe almost two weeks ago, that this occurred in our story. And he said, no, you, you go ahead, I'm not gonna go. But then after everybody left, he quietly left and went to Jerusalem on his own. So he basically, you know, boy, oh boy, I don't want to call. I don't want to say that Jesus told a lie because we know that he is sinless. He is sinless. But sometimes maybe you have to say something that, that will keep people from, you know, acting out of normal or something. And then in the case of Lazarus, um, he told everybody that, no, he's not dead. He's not dead. He's just gone to sleep. He's, he's not dead. But we also find out that Lazarus really did die. He really did die. And this was a one and only time in the history of the earth, other than the resurrection of Jesus, that somebody has died, actually died, 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 and then came back into their same Marantia mortal um, body. Now, there were a couple of other occasions where, where Jesus did raise the dead, uh, healed people from the death, but they're also, they also kind of explained it here in the Rancha book that uh, one was the centurion's son, remember, and then there was another one that, that was, I think, a centurion's favorite servant's son, 
Uh, one was a lady um, who was now a widow her, where her son had died, and Jesus came in and healed them all. So I guess maybe he's raised other people from the dead, but generally they come in and they say, no, they were actually just in a coma or they're very sick or, or whatever, and, and they really weren't dead. But in this case with Lazarus, he really was dead. And we kind of wonder why he waited until the fourth day. The fourth day. Um, because everything, when we talked about Christ's um, um, incarnations, uh, when he became a Melchizedek, and then when he became a seraphim, um, he became a host in the, in the uh, Ancients of Days up in Uversa. Uh, he became a Marantzer soul, and then eventually uh, he becomes a human being. And every time he leaves that incarnation, is that the correct word? Incarnation, um, it would take three days, three days. So it was always three days, three days, three days, three days. And then we also know that he's raised from the dead. We'll get to that in the story, but we all know about the resurrection of Jesus, that he was raised on the third day. So it's kind of ironic and a little out of character here that Lazarus was four days, four days. But then can you imagine how Lazarus felt? I mean, he was dead. He didn't even realize he was dead. He, he didn't see any white lights. Uh, according to him, he was, he just went to sleep one night and he just, he was wondering why he woke up with, with, uh, with uh, a funeral uh, clothes and cloths all over him. He didn't even realize he died. But then, of course, everybody started just kneeling down before him and praising him and what have you, that he was alive. So he came to realize he had actually died and uh, had been brought back to life. But you can imagine, I mean, he was taken before the Sanhedrin, almost like in trial. Like, were you really dead? Were you really? He, he both him and his sisters, Martha and Mary, were dragged before the Sanhedrin, uh, almost like they were under trial for dying and being raised from the dead. And it's just an, an odd story. <coughs> I read uh, from John, I think it's John 11, and we read about the raising of, of Lazarus from the dead. And it was in a grand total of 44 verses. And it was right straight to the point, straight to the point, straight to the point. But then what we found when we read it in the Rancho book yesterday, there's so much other stuff going on that just, just does not get incorporated into the Gospels. So backing up a couple of phrases here, um, if Marissa comes on, I'm going to ask her. I'm going to ask her to Jesus. If Jesus will come in today into our session, um, would he consider those as little white lies that he told? And if he did, were they justified? Or is there some kind of a misinterpretation here? Um, so anyway, that's gonna, be, that's gonna be my question for Jesus today. And that's what I mean by bridging the gap between spirituality and Christianity, Christianity and spirituality. Because Marissa has the ability to speak to the other side. And that's what we're doing with the Arantia book. The Arantia book, is a channel book. We assume it's from Edgar Casey, the sleeping prophet from the 1930s. And he is talking to universal creatures, universal personalities, mostly midwayers, but every once in a while, somebody of really a much higher level uh, in the universe comes in and narrates the story. Um, so, because I believe in the Orangia book, I, I believe that it's a great story. I can't, I don't think it's perfect. I mean, there's some things that come into it that I, I question. And one of them is going to be, we're going to be talking about prayer today. Jesus is going to talk about prayer and how prayers get answered and if they ever get answered. And, um, and so I've got another question there for Marissa on that one to ask Jesus as well. Because I've had a prayer, I've, I've prayed once. Uh, I mean, I pray all the time, but um, when I had a, a really bad back, a really, really bad back, and I was, you know, this close, I was already seeing the surgeons and getting ready for the insurance and everything to go have back surgery. When I asked Jesus if this is what's meant to be, 
I mean, is it meant to be for me to be in this particular state? And I heard as loud as a bullhorn come through me, through me somehow, not in speakers, but it was loud and it came in through me. And it said, sleep on your right side, dummy. So I think that was Peter. I don't think that was Jesus. I don't think Jesus would ever call me a dummy, even if I am. Uh, but Peter would. He has no shame. <laughs> I mean, he'll call me a dummy all day long, which is fine. I mean, compared to him, I really are, am a dummy. But I heard that plain as day, just plain as day. So that first night, I slept on my right side instead of my left side uh, because the pain was mostly in the, uh, uh, gosh, I can't even remember which hip it was. But I would not sleep on my left side because, uh, I mean, I wouldn't sleep on my right side because it hurt. It really hurt. So I would find relief by sleeping on my left side. Now they're telling me sleep on the right side. So I did. I slept the first night. It was okay. I, I felt a little better in the morning. Second day, I felt a whole lot better. By the third day, I mean, I was right back to normal. There was no pain. Apparently what had happened by me sleeping on my right side, I think I had slipped the disc off of my, uh, what's it called, sciatic nerve, off the sciatic nerve. And so I was right back to normal again. And I went and saw my surgeons afterwards. They said, you belong on my table. I mean, they were looking at the MRIs. They're saying, you, you, you shouldn't even be standing here right now. You should be on my table. You should be writhing in pain. I said, I got no pain. I mean, God told me sleep on the right side and bingo, I was better. So to me, I had an instant response to a prayer. And that's not exactly the way the Arantia book is going to explain it here. So I do have a question for Jesus in that regard. So I've got those two questions for Jesus if, if Marissa comes in. And that, that again is how we're saying that we're bridging the gap, bridging the gap. It's okay to give the Christian story, but let's see if there's a little bit more to it. So I'll keep an eye out. So anyway, now, as they're walking away from, from the tomb... Uh, with Lazarus and the two sisters and Jesus. As they walked toward the house, Gabriel, Gabriel, dismissed the extra groups of the assembled heavenly hosts. Once again, there are all kinds of them. They're all up there, but they're all with, nobody can see them. You can't see them. I can't see them. Uh, Jesus could probably see them. But they're there. Just because you can't see the angels and the spirits and everything else, uh, just like you can't see the, the bad spirits. They're all around. They're just waiting to get in a crack in your snow globe. That's how you get consumed by evil, is you just don't protect yourself. You've got to protect yourself. And I think that's a prayer too. And, and, and that's immediate by truly just giving your will over to God, asking for his protection and, and the Holy Spirit to brighten you up, that puts the armor of God around you immediately. To me, that's an instantaneous response to a prayer. So I do have a little problem with what we're going to be doing today on that regard. But anyway, let's remember, there was a whole host of, of heavenly people that were around watching at the time. And when Jesus gave the order, it took him exactly 12 seconds, 12 seconds to do whatever those guys up there do to heal Lazarus. Back to normal. He's dead. He's dead. Back to normal. Breathing, blood flowing, the whole works, thinking, speaking. I mean, it wasn't just like a stroke. I mean, he was, he was okay. But I did read, I did read something that, that is professed by the... Uh, uh, Eastern Greek Church, I think that's what it is. They, they believe that Lazarus never once smiled again for 30 years. Never smiled. Uh, because uh, he feared. In the Orantia account, it says that uh, Lazarus didn't even know he was dead. So he, didn't, he can't relate to the death. But the Eastern Grecan Church says that Lazarus was in fear because he had gone to hell for four days and he had seen all the unclean spirits in hell and he was afraid that they would follow him in his earthly life. So he never smiled. But we're gonna find out that he did a lot. He, he did a lot. He went, he went to uh, see Abner. Uh, Abner was uh, again the, uh, the head of the apostles for John the Baptist. 
And Abner was now taking over the Philadelphia church. And we talked about that a few days ago, maybe a week or so ago. And that's where Lazarus goes. Uh, basically, they were run out of town. Martha, Mary, and Lazarus were literally run out of town uh, because the Jews feared him so much. They ended up having to sell all their wineries and, and all their groves and everything. So anyway, so Gabriel dismissed the, the extra groups of the assembled heavenly hosts while he made record of the first instance on Urantia, earth, and the last, where a mortal creature had been resurrected in the likeness of the physical body of death. And again, we, the Bible explains that Jesus had actually raised uh, the dead two other times. I think it might be three times. Um, always, uh, always in front of the Pharisees. Always in front of the Pharisees. So I'm not sure... Maybe all those other ones, they really weren't dead. They just thought they were, they are in a coma or whatever. But usually, I mean, you put something up close to somebody's mouth, you can tell whether they're breathing, whether the chest is going up or down. You know, I think you would know if somebody's dead. So Lazarus could hardly comprehend what had occurred. He knew he had been very sick, but he, he could recall only that he had fallen asleep and been awakened. He was never able to tell anything about those four days in the tomb because he was wholly unconscious. Time is non-existent to those who sleep the sleep of death. I've got a question about that. Though many believed in Jesus as a result of this mighty work, others only hardened their hearts the more to reject him. I mean, they're, they're really mad at him. By noon the next day, this story had spread over all of Jerusalem. Scores of men and women went to Bethany to look upon Lazarus and talk with him. And the alarmed and disconcerted Pharisees hastily called a meeting of the Sanhedrin that they might determine what should be done about these new developments. So the Sanhedrin have a meeting, and even though the testimony of this man raised from the dead did much to consolidate the faith, of the mass of believers in the gospel of the kingdom, it had little or no influence on the attitude of the religious leaders and the rulers at Jerusalem, except to hasten their decision to destroy Jesus and stop his work. At one o'clock the very next day, Friday, <coughs> excuse me, the Sanhedrin met to deliberate further on the question, what shall we do with Jesus? What shall we do with him? They're going to do the same thing they've done to all the other prophets. They kill all the prophets, and then they go, oops, I don't think we should have killed them. Let's make a tomb. You know, let's, let's raise a shrine uh, to these, these prophets that we've killed. I mean, they always, they always kill their prophets. And then they go, oops, I don't think we should have done that. So let's go ahead and glorify them now after we've killed them. And they say, what shall we do with Jesus of Nazareth? After more than two hours of discussion and acrimonious debate, a certain Pharisee presented a resolution calling for Jesus' immediate death, proclaiming that he was a menace to all Israel and formally committing the Sanhedrin to the decision of death without even a trial and in defiance of all precedent. Time and again had this august body of Jewish leaders decreed that Jesus be apprehended and brought to trial on charges of blasphemy and numerous other accusations of flouting the Jewish sacred law. They had once before even gone so far as to declare he should die, but this was the first time, first time, the Sanhedrin had gone on record as desiring to decree his death in advance of a trial. But this resolution did not come to a vote since 14 members of the Sanhedrin resigned in a body when such an unheard of action was proposed. While these resignations were not formally acted upon for almost two weeks, this group of 14 withdrew from the Sanhedrin on that day, never again to sit in the council. And when these resignations were subsequently acted upon, five other members were thrown out because their associates believed they entertained friendly, friendly feelings towards Jesus. 
So with the ejection of these 19 men, the Sanhedrin was in a position to try and to condemn, to try him and to condemn him, Jesus, with a solidarity bordering on unanimity. The following week, week, Lazarus and his sisters were summoned to appear before the Sanhedrin. So they're calling him in. They're going to put him on trial for what? Dying and being resurrected? They want to know the story. So when their testimony had been heard, no doubt could be entertained that Lazarus had been raised from the dead. Though the transactions of the Sanhedrin virtually admitted the resurrection of Lazarus, the record carried a resolution attributing this and all other wonders worked by Jesus to the power of the prince of the devils, with whom Jesus was declared to be in a league with devils. So they believed that only a devil could raise someone from the death, from the dead. So no matter what the source of his wonder-working power, these Jewish leaders were persuaded that if he were not immediately stopped, very soon all the common people would believe in him and further that serious complications with the Roman authorities would arise since so many of his believers regarded him as the Messiah, Israel's deliverer. So it was at this same meeting of the Sanhedrin that Caiaphas, Caiaphas, the chief priest, the high priest, first gave expression to that old Jewish adage, which was probably used with all the prophets, which he so many times repeated, quoting, it is better that one man die than that the community perish, end quote. So although Jesus had received warning of the doings of the Sanhedrin on this dark Friday afternoon, he was not in the least perturbed and continued resting over the Sabbath with friends in Bethpage, which was a little hamlet near Bethany. Early Sunday morning, Jesus and the apostles assemble. Saturday is their Sabbath, so Sunday is like their Monday. So they all assembled. Uh, don't forget, he only had 10 of the apostles with him. He had left uh, two apostles up in Pella, uh, the camp in Pella, which is about halfway between um, the Sea of Galilee and the Dead Sea and along the Jordan. And so it's kind of a halfway point. He had left the 72 uh, evangelists up there and basically in the area of... of um, uh, the Sea of Galilee, primarily in, in the Philadelphia area. So by prearrangement at the home of Lazarus and taking leave of the Bethany family, they started on their journey back to the Pella encampment. Now here's, here's a, a portion that's called the answer to prayer. And this is why I want to ask Marissa about this, because I don't know if I... I mean, I can believe I... I I think I have to believe um, that what they're saying is true about when we give prayer and then what happens to our prayers uh, when we do give prayers. But um, I've got some questions about this, but let's go through it. Let's, let's see what the Arantia book says. So on the way from Bethany to Pella, the apostles asked Jesus many questions, all of which the master freely answered except those involving the details, the details of the resurrection of the dead. Such problems were beyond the comprehension and the capacity to understand, that being his apostles. Therefore, did the master decline to discuss these questions with them? Since they had departed from Bethany in secret, they were alone. Jesus, therefore, embraced the opportunity to say many things to the ten. Remember, it's just ten of them, which he thought would prepare them for the trying days just ahead. And yes, Judas Iscariot was with him. He was one of the ten. The apostles were much stirred up in their minds and spent considerable time discussing their recent experiences as they were related, as they were related to prayer and its answering. They all recalled Jesus' statement to the Bethany messenger of Philadelphia when he said plainly, this sickness, this sickness is not really to the death. And yet, in spite of this promise, Lazarus actually died. So there's one. There's like just 
did Jesus not know that he was dead? Uh, was he hoping that he wasn't dead? Did he know he was dead and not say that? So, and yet, in spite of this promise, and I know Jesus comes in because I ask him to come in. So he's here and he's probably trying to answer my question right now. But unfortunately, I can't channel. I mean, I have to leave that up to Marissa. And yet, in spite of this promise, Lazarus actually died. And all that day, again and again, they reverted to the discussion of this question of the answer to prayer. Jesus' answers to their many questions may be summarized as follows. One, prayer is an expression of the finite mind, our minds. It's an expression of our finite mind in an effort to approach the infinite. So when we pray, we're trying to get out of our finite mind, which will only live a certain amount of years, and approach the infinite. We're trying to talk to the infinite. So prayer is an expression of the finite mind in an effort to approach the infinite. The making of a prayer must therefore be limited by the knowledge, wisdom, and attributes of the finite. Therefore, prayer is limited by the knowledge, wisdom, and attributes of the finite. That's all we really know. So isn't that... All we have, we can focus in on when we're praying. Likewise, must the answer be conditioned by the vision, aims, ideals, and prerogatives of the infinite. Of course, I mean that makes sense. I mean, um, the infinite is going to use their best judgment on how to deal with our petitions. So there never can be observed an unbroken continuity of material phenomena between the making of a prayer and the reception of the full spiritual answer thereto. Now that's a mouthful, so let me go back through it a little bit slower. There never can be observed, observed, an unbroken continuity of material phenomena that's worldly, worldly stuff, worldly stuff going on between the making of a prayer and the reception of the full spiritual answer, the answer from above coming down. So too, when a prayer is apparently unanswered, how many times do we say, gosh, I don't think Jesus, I don't think God answers my prayers. I think it's a matter of patience, it's a matter of time. But in my case, I've had prayers answered immediately. Immediately. But here it says, when a prayer is apparently unanswered, the delay often betokens a better answer. Probably an answer we want. If we pray for a, a black Mercedes and we don't get an answer, maybe it's because God wanted you to have a white Mercedes. Who knows? I mean, that's silly. That's silly because you don't pray for a car. You, you pray for spiritual things. You pray for health and you pray for uh, keeping uh, your family safe and, and pray for the country that it's not going to fall apart and go into nuclear war. So the delay often betokens a better answer, although one which is for some good reason greatly delayed. It's up to them as to who's answering it. I mean, when we pray, we're praying to our entire team. God, the Father, Christ, the Holy Spirit, um, our soul, um, our soul's master, the ascended master of our soul, um, angels that are assigned to us, um, soul, soul family members who are on this journey with you. I mean, I mean, if you could picture the cartoon above your head when you get up and you get out of your out of your house on your way to work, and then you picture this Mimi that's got all these people in a big crowd just all above you and just following you, just going with you. We all have that. And they're all assigned to you. You're a project. 
but you asked for it. You just don't remember because you got amnesia. You forgot when you started out in heaven and you had planned this life that you wanted to live on earth. You were assigned angels. You were assigned the spirit of God that, that lives within you. Um, if you become a Christ follower, you have the spirit of Christ within you. You have the Holy Spirit that's built into you automatically. But the light of the Holy Spirit will not light up within you unless you ask it to. Unless you ask it to come in. It's almost like turning on a computer. A computer is a fabulous tool. But it's not worth anything if you can't turn it on. And it's the same thing with the Holy Spirit. And with the Father. I mean, it's all there. Everything's there for you. You just have to turn it on. So when Jesus said that Lazarus' sickness was really not to the death, he had already been dead 11 hours. No sincere prayer is denied an answer except when the superior viewpoint of the spiritual world has devised a better answer. An answer which meets the petition of the spirit of man as contrasted with the prayer of the mere mind of a man. Did you catch that? Let me go back over. I think that was totally understandable. No sincere prayer is denied. No sincere prayer is denied an answer, except, except when the superior viewpoint of the spiritual world, your team, when the superior viewpoint of the, of the consideration of the entire team has devised a better answer. An answer which meets the petition of the spirit of man as contrasted with the prayer of the mere mortal mind. Number three, the prayers of time, when indicted by the spirit and expressed in faith, are often so vast and all-encompassing that they can be answered only in eternity. The finite petition is sometimes so fraught with the grasp of the infinite that the answer must long be postponed to await the creation of adequate capacity for receptivity. The prayer of faith may be so all-embracing, the prayer of faith may be so all-embracing that the answer can be received only on paradise. So the answer is up there stuck in paradise in a box, in a mailbox, and it hasn't been sent to you yet. Four, the answers to the prayer of the mortal mind, my mind, are often of such a nature that they can be received and recognized only after that same praying mind has attained the immortal state. Now, what does that mean? Is that uh, in a meditation, uh, an immortal state? Is that the complete giving over of your will? Uh, to God that allows you to enter into an immortal state because our souls never die. I mean, our souls can die. They actually can die. Uh, but that's the choice of the soul. The soul can make that own choice. Uh, but uh, for, for our purposes, souls don't die. They just don't die. Um, they're infinite. Or they get stuck uh, in purgatory for a little while because they just couldn't handle their, their human self. Uh, from just doing dastardly, dastardly things. So there's a little bit of a punishment. We kind of cover that. Marissa covers that in the 12-story um, building. Uh, it's, a, um, uh, it's another one of the books that we've written, but we have not published. Uh, but we incorporate it into some of the other things that we've got. Marissa's got another book entitled I Am Marissa. Um, I Am Marissa. Uh, what's the rest of it? but I don't feel real. Uh, that too, it's a book we've written, but it's not completed and it hasn't been issued. But uh, we also, I think we've got the 12-story building in Conversations with Jesus. Uh, I'll have to look that up. Uh, but it talks about where we are in our development because we have our third dimensional self, which is us as we see each other right now. But we also have our Marantra, our fourth dimensional self. But we also have a fifth, a sixth, a seventh, and an eighth dimensional self as well. These are, our soul has advanced through the periods of time, and there is no time. 
and yet our souls move up and down, up and down, up and down. They, they, they move through the different dimensions and, and do different duties and do different things. And, and our soul, for whatever reason, is right now in a third dimensional state. But as Jesus says, we can tap into any one of our higher dimensional uh, bodies uh, for the wisdom for the wisdom that our ourselves have learned on the way to being Christed. Many of us may be really close to being Christed, yet we're stuck down here now in the third dimension because maybe there is something the soul felt it needed to accomplish at this level that didn't quite get accomplished before. Call it reincarnation, call it whatever you want. Um, but if things didn't go exactly the way it should have when the soul came down here and was a human with your personality and your consciousness and you didn't accomplish learning to love yourself, then over time, as that soul continues to graduate, 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 he graduates in through all these, all these rooms on these different floors of a 12-story building. But inside each floor, there's a lot of rooms there are many, 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 many rooms. And sometimes our soul can get stuck on maybe um, in one of the rooms on the, uh, on the fourth level or on the third level. And in a way that's the soul not dying, but it's slowed down. It's slowed down its pro progress. I think Marissa can explain that a little bit better than I can. <sighs> okay, so they can, uh, they can be received. Let me go over that. The answers to the prayer of the mortal mind are often of such a nature that they can be received and recognized only after that same praying mind has attained the immortal state. The prayer of the material being, being can many times be answered only when such an individual has progressed to the spiritual level. I think we have. I think we can, we can progress to that spiritual level just, just in our thoughts, just in accepting Christ in accepting the Father, accepting who we are. Five, the prayer of a God-knowing person may be so distorted by ignorance and so deformed by superstition that the answer thereto would be highly undesirable. Then must the intervening spirit, I'm trying to think of what those kind of prayers sound like, you know, what kind of prayers they... I think Jesus explained once, he goes, we laugh because we hear these prayers. We hear, oh God, please God, just give me that yellow car. I love that yellow car. Oh, please, please, please let me have that yellow car. And then they'd say, oh, never mind, never mind. I don't like yellow. Give me that black car. Oh, geez, uh, Jesus, can you please uh, give me the black car? Oh, never mind, Jesus, never mind. I, I don't deserve it. I don't deserve it. So forget it. Please forget it. I'm so unworthy, I'm so unworthy, so don't, don't even listen to that prayer. I mean, these are the kind of prayers that, <laughs> that all those people up there have to listen to. So they're, they're convoluted. Our prayers are convoluted because we don't know what we really want. And we don't know how to express it. When I pray for somebody else, I do something very simple. I say, okay, team, can you go over to Mary Sue and work with her team and have her highest and best occur? I know she's very sick, maybe on, on, the, on the verge of death right now, so nobody wants her to die, but we don't know what her highest and best is. But can you, my team, please work with her team to bring about her highest and best? And that's how I pray for somebody else. I get these people that ask for me to pray for so-and-so. I don't even know who they are. And so it's easier. It's very hard to pray for somebody that you don't know because you can't visualize who they are. You can't visualize a conversation you may have had with them or, or any kind of activity or anything. But you feel for the daughter who has asked for the, for the prayer, for the mother or what have you. And so it's just a lot easier to just put your team to work. Just say, okay, team, go over there and help them out. You know, help them out as best you can so that that person can be healed or their highest and best occur. How are we doing on time anyway? Oh my God, I've only got 10 minutes.
it's, I don't see Marissa coming in. Okay, so then must the intervening spirit being so translate such a prayer that when the answer arrives, the petitioner, me, wholly fails to recognize it as the answer to his prayer. So we give these convoluted prayers, we get an answer to the prayer, but we don't even understand it. Which means we don't even realize we got an answer. So all true prayers are addressed to spiritual beings. Listen to this. All true prayers are addressed to spiritual beings. I say my dean. And all such petitions must be answered in spiritual terms. And all such answers must consist in spiritual realities. Spirit beings cannot bestow material answers. So there goes praying for that car. Spiritual beings cannot bestow material answers to the spirit petitions of even material beings. Material beings, human beings, can pray effectively only when they pray in the spirit. How do you do that? How do you pray in the spirit? I think you just still turn your will over to God. It's like when I do the show. Whenever I do the show, I, I just ask God. I said, take over my mouth and take over my brain. Let me have your wisdom and let your words flow from my mouth. Let me just be a tool, a tool for you. Number seven, no prayer can hope for an answer unless it is born of the spirit and nurtured by faith. No prayer can hope for an answer unless it is born of the Spirit. We just talked about that. And then nurtured by your faith. So you put yourself there within the confines of the Father. You make your prayer and then you have faith that they will act upon that prayer. Your sincere faith implies that you have in advance virtually granted your prayer hearers your team, the full right to answer your petitions in accordance with that supreme wisdom and that divine love which your faith depicts as always actuating those beings to whom you pray. Let me say that again. It's basically trusting your team. We all have a team. We all have a team. Your sincere faith implies that you have in advance virtually granted your prayer hearers, your team, the full right to answer your prayers in accordance with the supreme wisdom and the divine love which your faith depicts as always actuating those beings to whom you pray. So that's just a matter of, you need to know that you need to have faith that when you do ask a prayer to be answered, you know that you're giving your prayer to your team and you know the team is there. And you know that they are going to act on every petition that you give them. You just might not hear the answer. You may never really realize the answer. If I send my team off to help heal uh, Bobby Sue's mom or whatever, I may never know the answer. I may never know exactly what happened to Bobby Sue's uh, um, mother. But that doesn't mean that my prayer wasn't answered or it wasn't acted on. So let's see, time, I still don't see Marissa popping in. She must have a tough day today. Um, and I can't read, people are coming in. I'm sorry, I cannot read that. I have to put my glasses on. Number eight, oh my gosh, I haven't gotten nearly as far as I expected to. So we're gonna get into some parables obviously tomorrow. Uh, let me just finish up on this one and we'll be done for the day. Uh, eight. The child is always within his rights when he presumes to petition the parent. This is a child asking the parent. So uh, sort of like the child is praying to his father or his mother. And the parent is always within his parent parental obligations to the immature child when his superior wisdom dictates that the answer to the child's prayer will be delayed or modified. I'm thinking of Tawny. She... She wants us to get her a certain thing, and I'm like, I'm not going to get that for you. And if I do, you're going to have to earn it. 
So to be delayed or modified or segregated or transcended or postponed to another stage of spiritual ascension. Not sure how I understand that because they're, they're combining the mortal mind. You read this again, it's a little bit tough to understand. The child is always within his rights when he presumes to petition the parent and the parent is always within his parental obligations to the immature child when his superior wisdom dictates that the answer to the child's prayer be delayed, modified, segregated, transcended, or postponed to another stage of spiritual ascension. And nine, do not hesitate to pray the prayers of spirit longing. Doubt not that you shall receive the answer to your petitions. So they're saying, don't doubt that you're going to get answers. Because you will. You just may not recognize it. And it may not come immediately. You shall receive the answer to your petitions. These answers will be on deposit. On deposit. In your bank account. And I guess you can withdraw. These answers will be on deposit awaiting your achievement of those future spiritual levels of actual cosmic attainment. On this world or on others. Boy, that would be a long time to wait for an answer. Whereon it will become possible for you to recognize and appropriate the long waiting answers to your earlier but ill-timed petitions. Oh, and then I got a 10. This should be my last one. Ten rules on prayers. Oh my God, shouldn't prayers be easy? Yipes. So all genuine spirit-born petitions are certain of an answer. Ask and you shall receive, but you should remember that you are progressive creatures of time and space. Therefore, must you constantly reckon with the time-space factor. We don't understand that. We only understand our time in seconds and minutes and and hours and days and months and what have you, but apparently we don't have that. That isn't occurring up there. I don't know how you function outside of time, but they do. I still think that they can stop time and they can work in between seconds. <sighs> so the time-space factor and the experience of your personal reception of the full answers to your Manifold prayers and petitions. Okay, and now we're going to get into what became of Lazarus, but I've hit my hour. You know what? I'll, I don't see Marissa coming on, and I think I know why. She has a Wednesday night class on Patreon. So uh, those of you who might want to catch her class, uh, which is starting in, a, I think, about an hour, um, can go to Discover Intuition dot com and see if there's a pass or something that you can get into on Patreon or you can go to Patreon, P-A-T-R-E-O-N forward slash uh, discoveringintuition.com. Uh, I don't know if there's a dot com in there or not. Uh, Patreon forward slash discoveringintuition. And I think it is dot com. And you can get in there as well. Uh, but anyway, um, I'm going to save these questions. I'm going to have these questions for Marissa tomorrow for sure. And again, I want to thank everybody for coming in. Uh, thank you for those that, that have stayed on live. That was very nice of you. I don't know who did. Oh my gosh, got a bunch of people there. Thank you. Thank you, people. And, um, and then for all of those of you who will come on later, I, I, I really appreciate it because this gets sent out. Everybody knows how I sent this, send this out. It is my tithing. Uh, so it goes out as sort of like a sponsored. It says sponsored, and and we send this out. And I've got it going all around the world, uh, you know, as far as it can reach. And it's truly up to. I mean, it's crazy. I I still tithe my certain amount every day, and some days it goes out to six thousand people. Next day it goes out to like ten thousand people. Uh, some days it goes out to twenty thousand people, and I just never know. I don't know. Facebook does with them and how they go out and they call it a reach and then uh, from that reach we get views anybody who watches it for at least three seconds uh, becomes a view so typically you'll see I've got maybe 6,000 views something like that um, but that doesn't mean they've watched this uh, 
Only if they've watched it for more than 15 seconds does it be considered a through play. Uh, because they say if, if somebody watches for at least 15 seconds, there's a good chance they're going to watch the whole thing. And if not, they're going to watch enough of it that they've picked up the lesson, the lesson that touches their heart. So there's always something. There's always going to be something in our daily story of Jesus's life that's going to help somebody. And that's really all Jesus wanted us to do. I mean, since we started all this, he knew we were going to be ridiculed. Jesus knew we were going to be ridiculed. One of these days, I'll read his testimony to me, his admonition to Joe. And he says, be ready. People are going to ridicule you. They're not going to like you. They're not going to want to hear what you have to say. But just be aware, they're not condemning you. They're condemning me. They're condemning my words. So you just need to be my mouthpiece. If Jesus was to come out and, and be seen by the world, it would throw everything into, into haywire, absolutely haywire, because there's supposed to be a, a set number of things that are supposed to happen before he comes in. But Jesus says, I'm, I'm here already. I'm here in people. I'm in anybody who wants me. He says, just follow me. Just ask for me to be with you, and I am with you. I don't know how he does that. He's, we have a parable on the, on the hologram. He goes, think of a hologram. He can be everywhere and nowhere at the same time. So that's it for me. Joe Morris answers Heaven Speak on a Wednesday. Um, let me say hello. Oh, Marissa, you did pop in algorithm, but I don't see you uh, hopping in here. If you do, you're going to miss your show. Okay, guest request. No, um, Marissa didn't. So she must be way too busy. Um, so, okay, Marissa, just get ready for your Patreon show tonight. And hopefully you'll come back in tomorrow. And uh, we will continue to do the bridging of the gap. And uh, let me see again. Um, who we got? Marissa, algorithm. Marissa says hi. Marissa, Sarah. Sarah Zenor. 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 Uh, Brenda. Hey, Brenda. Uh, Rachel. Carmen. Marisa. Demi. Uh, Gleba. Julia. Julia. And, uh, and that's it. But. Thank you, everybody. I really appreciate it. I really do. Um, it's, it's, it's hard to take an hour out of your day. And so for you to stay all the way, I mean, that's like major tip of the hat, tip of the hat to you. Um, I mean, I, I don't even do that. Um, uh, I've said this before. There are certain people I listen to every day. Um, I like to his, listen to Mike Adams, uh, the health ranger, and see what he has to say. But he's, he's, He's totally into the whole world falling apart. And so I get a little freaked when I listen to him. But, I mean, he was wrong. He thought for sure. And I was wrong, too. Thank God. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. I thought for sure that we would never get to these elections. I thought for sure that our crazy government would do something, something to keep us from, from voting. But I think we're past that particular time when that could happen. And we're we're so close now. We're only... Uh, seven, what, seven days, six days away. So, thank God, nothing terrible has happened. And I always say, be prepared, be prepared. But, um, and if you're prepared and, and nothing weird goes happen in the world, so what? Now you have everything, you still have food, you still have money, you still have uh, water, you still got uh, medicines, you still got all the things. Um, but it doesn't hurt to be prepared. And then like Gabriel said yesterday, just be happy. Be happy. That's, 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 that's your team's goal for you, is to live a life of happiness. Be happy. Don't be Antichrist. Because Antichrist, the definition of Antichrist is fear. Fear. If you live in fear, fear of not having money for that mortgage or the rent, fear of not being able to heal your child when they're sick, fear of this, that, and the other, that just means you don't have faith in God. If you have the faith in God, things will work out. Just like all the people that got the... I said, Jesus, I mean, they had to take it. They had to take it. Otherwise, they were going to lose their job. And he said, you think we would have abandoned them? Do you really believe I would abandon them if they didn't? So I feel bad for those who actually 
did. I mean, just, oh, yeah, 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 yeah. I mean, there's just so many, just, oh, God, it's just so sad. So sad to see so many people just dying of heart attacks. I had a good friend. He got it. Three days later, heart attack, gone. He was 54, 54. To many of you, that's old. But to me, that's really young. And then somebody who was like a football assistant coach, 38, dead yesterday. A girl, I was watching this, this girl was, was doing this like Middle Eastern dance or whatever. She was, I don't know how old she was, maybe in her early 20s or late teens or whatever. She's doing this dance and, and she'd do the dance and then she'd kind of lay down and, and then come back up again like a snake or something and do this little dance and back down on the ground and do that little snake thing coming up. And so she did that and then she went back down on the ground and she didn't get up. And then you could see her, she was kind of squirming, squirming a little, squirming a little bit more, and then nothing. And all the people who were watching were thinking that was must be part of the show. She died. She died of a heart attack right there. I mean, it's just, the evil in this world is insane. It's just insane. And the only way we can fight it is through faith. Have faith in your team. Have faith in your team that you will not fear and that you will seek happiness. Always seek the positive, avoid the negative, and continue to have faith and trust. And that's it. So, okay, Joe Morris answers Heaven Speaks. Uh, that's it for a Wednesday, November 2nd. My little Tawny is on her last day, last day of being seven years old because she's gonna be eight tomorrow. And she just can't wait because all her friends are already eight. She goes, I don't want to be seven anymore. I want to be eight because I'm going to be all grown up now because I'm eight. <laughs> Kids, you got to love them. They're so stinking innocent. They're so innocent. You just got to love it. All right, I'm babbling. So tomorrow we're going to get into what became of Lazarus. What became of Lazarus? And in the meantime, you guys have a great uh, Wednesday night. And uh, is today Wednesday? Yes. Monday I flew in. Tuesday was my birthday. Wednesday is today. So yeah, so uh, God willing, I'll be back again tomorrow on a Thursday. In the meantime, you guys take care and God bless. I'll see you soon.